0: Welcome in to OutKick the Show. I am your fearless leader, Clay Travis. I hope all of you are having fantastic Tuesdays, wherever you may be across this great nation. I will not, this is OutKick the Show, I will not be uh, on tomorrow. Just a heads up, uh, I've got to go run around and get a bunch of stuff done with the kids for the holidays. Not even going to be on radio, taking the day off. Be back Thursday, be back Friday all next week, and then I'm going to be traveling some for the holidays. I'll update you, but headed down to Florida for a week. Then I'm going out to Park City, Utah for a week before the end of the year uh, because the kids don't have school, and we can actually get away. And I don't think I've had a week off since, God, I don't know, back in the summer for sure, Um, and I don't even think it was a week then. But anyway, that's the background. Shouldn't impact things, just won't be on tomorrow. Right off the top. If you are watching or listening to me in Georgia, Herschel Walker is behind. Herschel Walker is now the underdog. He is down right now. They need over 1.2 million Georgians to go out and vote today in order to win this Senate runoff. Now, it's not going to give control of the Senate to the Republicans. It'll be 50-50 instead of 51-49, but it will set the table for a big difference in 2024 So if you are out there right now and you are a Georgian, if you love Joe Biden, you should go vote for Raphael Warnock. Straight up. No difficulty. You should support Warnock because as Joe Biden said, Warnock has voted with him every single time that he has needed him to vote with him. If you think Joe Biden's doing a bad job and you want to give a check to Joe Biden's power, then the best thing you could do is go vote for Herschel Walker. Right now, Joe Biden has a 40% approval rate in the state of Georgia. Seven already statewide elective offices have all gone to the Republican Party. It'll make it eight for eight if Herschel Walker wins. Seven out of seven so far were on to a runoff. There was a 30,000 vote differential between Herschel Walker and the Reverend Raphael Warnock. Warnock was up 30,000. He needs, Herschel Walker does, a big turnout today. If Republicans turn out, then he's going to win. The same amount of Republicans turn out as turned out in the 2020 runoffs, Herschel Walker will win. If Republicans don't show up, then Reverend Raphael Warnock's going to win. Today is the day. Herschel Walker is down. It's the fourth quarter. Will Georgians show up and put him over the top, or is Reverend Raphael Warnock going to get six years uh, need Georgians to show up in order for Herschel to win. I'm supporting Herschel Walker as I have been uh, since he announced his candidacy because I think Joe Biden's doing a bad job. And a vote for Warnock is a vote for Biden. A vo- vote for Herschel Walker is a vote to check Joe Biden's power. Look, Republicans have already taken the House. It would be great to keep the Senate at minimum 50-50 going forward for the next couple of years as we get ready for 2024. Uh, so get your vote in if you are in Georgia. Uh, big news. This doesn't happen very often. So I'm a Tennessee Titan fan. The Titans are poised to go out and uh, win the AFC South for a third straight year. Now the AFC South is a disaster. The Jags are awful. Uh, the Texans are awful. And the Colts are awful. I think the Colts are in second place in this division right now, if I'm not mistaken, with a 4-8-1 record. That means the absolute best-case scenario, if my math is right, and I think it is, absolute best-case scenario for the Colts is to go 8-8-1. Eight, eight, and one. Uh, And that's second place right now. If the Titans win two of their last five, and they're playing the Jags this weekend and are favored to win that one, Titans win two of their last five, they can't be caught. They would win the division for a third straight year. Now, they'd only be eight, nine and eight, but out of nowhere, John Robinson, the GM of the Titans, who just got an extension in February, has been fired. And I don't think it's coincidental that that firing happened right after A.J. Brown went off on the Titans in Philadelphia. And the truth of the matter is this. The Titans would be, I don't think they would be a real contender, but they'd be two games better, right? If if A.J. Brown was playing on the Titans this year, instead of sitting at seven and five, the Titans would probably be nine and three. I think it's fair to say if you look at the games, uh, Titans probably beat uh, the Chiefs in Kansas City. Game went to overtime. Even playing with Malik Willis, Titans almost won that one. Uh, and I think they probably would have beaten... The Giants, right? So I think A.J. Brown, given how close many of these games have been, I think the Titans would be sitting at nine and three uh, instead of seven and five. That'd be good enough to be close to the number one seed. Instead, they traded A.J. Brown. They went and they drafted Traylon Burks. And this is no shot against Traylon Burks, but he's a pale approximation of the receiver right now that A.J. Brown was. A.J. Brown by himself almost has more yards receiving. Than the entire. Think about how crazy this is. Than the entirety of the Titans' receiving staff, uh, receiving core. So, uh, it's not a coincidence that the week after AJ Brown, what is that? Two days after AJ Brown torched the Titans in Philadelphia, thirty-five to ten, the Eagles win. That John Robinson has been fired. Now, John Robinson also had some disastrous draft picks. Isaiah Wilson, first round tackle out of Georgia, one of the worst picks of all time. Uh, Not even a a hyperbole. Barely played for the Titans. They had to fire, uh, kick him to the curb after a year. Uh, You've got Caleb Farley, another first-round pick, pretty high pick, total bust at cornerback. Um, There are many different picks that you can point to. Really, John Robinson had one really good season, and that season in the draft, he got... Jeffrey Simmons and A.J. Brown as his first and second round picks. Otherwise, most of his top draft picks have, frankly, not panned out. And I don't think it's coincidental. This feels to me like a power struggle that was won by Mike Vrabel. It's not very often that a third straight year of winning a division that you fire the GM in the middle of the season right after giving him an extension. It seems clear that Vrabel didn't want to trade A.J. Brown that he knew what he had in terms of a top-wide receiver, and that John Robinson wasn't willing to pay A.J. Brown, made the decision to get rid of him, and that that basically closed the Titans' window. It feels to me, again, it's just me, it feels to me like the Titans' window completely shut in terms of winning a championship with this core when they made the decision to move on from A.J. Brown. And now they're basically in rebuild mode Tannehill's probably going to be gone after this year. Malik Willis, I don't know who made the decision to draft Malik Willis, but it's fair to say he's a long way from being able to start at a high level in the NFL if he ever will. Uh, Vrabel managed to go one and one with this dude starting. Uh, But there's a lot of frustration out there, and coming right off of that performance, it feels like that was the sayonara moment for them more so than, uh, than anything else associated with that. So, every Tuesday, how about Brady? Uh, let's talk about Tom Brady getting it done yet again. 17-16, uh, the Saints had no business losing that game. There were a lot of different plays that had to happen, but Mark Ingram running out of bounds one yard short of the first down on the pass, even when he was injured, factors in in a big way here. Uh, but Brady comes back just like he did uh, against the Rams earlier in the season. Snags a victory out of the jaws of defeat. And I'll talk about where exactly the Bucs are slotted right now, but they are probably going to win the NFC South as a result of those two plays. Tom Brady, 45 years old, going to be a free agent after this season. Don't feel like he's going to be back with Tampa Bay. But you know what? I think there's going to be several suitors. Maybe the San Francisco 49ers. Maybe the Tennessee Titans. I feel like both Brady and Aaron Rodgers could be free agents, aging guys, and potentially have choices to make as to where they want to go. But what a comeback for the Brady and the Bucks to close out uh, Monday Night Football. But here is where we are, starting with the NFC in terms of the playoff picture right now. Uh, your number one seed right now in the NFC, no shock here, Philadelphia Eagles, 11-1, dominant against the Titans. They are sitting at 11-1. Vikings are 10-2. and two. Uh, They would be your number two seed. And right now you have the San Francisco 49ers who have to make a choice now at quarterback, as we talked about yesterday, with Jimmy G out. What are their options going to be? What are their choices going to be? Maybe Baker Mayfield going to be floating around out there. I don't think he's been officially claimed by anybody yet. Uh, then you've got Tampa Bay Buccaneers sitting there right in the four spot, and so the Dallas Cowboys nine and three. They were my Super Bowl pick. They would have to go on the road week one against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It feels it feels like that is the most likely outcome here. Uh, is that the Dallas Cowboys going up against Tampa Bay Buccaneers is almost one you can lock in stone, uh, given where we are right now. Your sixth seed would be the Giants. Your seventh seed would be right now uh, the Seattle Seahawks with the Redskins right behind, sorry, the Commanders right behind, uh, just barely out of the playoff picture at 7-5-1. and one. So... Your matchups in the NFC would be the Vikings hosting the Seahawks. Pretty good game. Uh, The 49ers and their quarterback uncertainty would be hosting the Giants. And the Cowboys would be going on the road against the Bucs. Now, I mentioned John Robinson getting fired, the GM of the Titans. Very surprising that that would happen right here. Uh, Well, right now you've got the Bills as the number one overall seed, Kansas City Chiefs as the two, Bills with the tie break there. Baltimore Ravens holding on by their fingernails to the three. Titans feels pretty confident that the Titans are going to be in there as the four seed because the rest of the AFC South is so weak. Then you've got the Bengals at eight and four, the Dolphins at eight and four, and the Jets at seven and five with the Patriots and the Chargers on the outside looking in here with four or five games uh, left to play, depending on exactly how you analyze this. Titans would host Cincinnati Bengals. Feels like the Bengals would win that game, uh, just like they did last year, just like they did two weeks ago in uh, Nashville, 20-16. to uh, Then you'd have the Jets on the road against the Kansas City Chiefs, and Baltimore would be hosting the Miami Dolphins. All right, that's where we are in the NFL. Hey, Clay Travis right here. I'll kick the show is dominating. We'll continue to roll. More coming back in a moment. But first, this. I got to tell you this. Hendon Hooker not getting an invite to the Heisman Trophy ceremony, as well, frankly, as Blake Corum of Michigan, the running back. But in particular, Tennessee quarterback Hendon Hooker not getting an invite is indefensible. All right? Hendon Hooker, if you took him off of the University of Tennessee football team. And you replace them let's say with Stetson Bennett. I think Tennessee is probably a 6 and 6 football team. Maybe 7 and 5. I think Hendon Hooker is worth 3 or 4 wins by himself. Tennessee goes from 10 and 2 with Hendon Hooker to I really feel like 7 and 5 or 6 and 6 without him and even just with Stetson Bennett, who got an invite to New York, right? Um, It's unbelievable to me that Hooker, who was arguably the best player in college football until he tore his ACL, I believe, early in the fourth quarter. So he only missed five quarters the whole season. He had enough of a resume that he should have been at least one of the top four in New York. I feel like this is a failure of the Heisman Trophy Committee. I feel like the Heisman gets things wrong a lot. And they have like 900 voters. There's far too many voting in the Heisman Trophy. By the way, how do I not have a Heisman Trophy vote? If you might hate me, you might think I'm the worst human being on the planet. I'm one of the 900 most influential people who talks about college football. Whatever you may think about me, I am in the top 900 uh, college football voices in the country right now. I don't have a Heisman vote. You got all these old dudes, all these people with no audience voting in the Heisman, all these hyper-regionalized voters. I don't think it makes sense. Uh, I'm embarrassed for the Heisman Trophy that Hendon Hooker is not going to be uh, in New York. Transfer portal. Everybody wants, I think there's over a thousand players right now in the transfer portal. And everybody wants to render a big verdict Is the transfer portal good or bad for college football? And you need to come out with a strong take on it one way or the other. I actually think we're just in a time of major paradigm shift in college football. And I don't think the transfer portal is either great or awful for college football by itself, but in conjunction with several other major changes, it is pretty substantial. Let me explain what I mean there. So college football, we are moving to a 12-team playoff. Big deal. We also, right now, suddenly have name, image, and likeness allowing players to make money off of their name, image, and likeness. I like both of those changes, but they're both big. I'm for NIL, and I'm for an expansion to college football to 12. Uh, What is a big change, though, is eliminating the requirement that you sit out for a year when you transfer at the same time that NIL is arriving, okay? Okay. One or the other standing alone would not have been a Berlin Wall coming down for college football movement. But the paradigm shift in effect when you suddenly end everything having to do with transfer requirements effectively, meaning sitting out for a year, and you also allow NIL payments to occur, you've created a huge mess. Now, interestingly... It's the same situation now for players as it has been for college football coaches. And longtime viewers or readers or listeners of my content know I've always said it's crazy that college football coaches have perpetual free agency. That means if you are a successful college football coach, your contract means nothing. You can decide to just go out on the open market and go to a new team. That doesn't exist anywhere else in football, right? In the NFL, if you have a good year, you don't get to leave one team and go to another team. In fact, if that occurs, the team that is losing your services has to compensate you for the team that you're leaving for your departure. In other words, easy example of this is, remember when John Gruden left the Raiders and went to Tampa Bay? And then he ended up coaching, ironically, against the Raiders in the Super Bowl. Well, Tampa Bay had to give compensation to the Raiders for letting John Gruden out of his contract. That doesn't happen in college football. Lane Kiffin, just to use as an example, could have decided to go to Auburn. He could have decided to go to Nebraska. He could have left Ole Miss and gone, theoretically, anywhere that he wanted to, to any job. Even though he was under contract already to Ole Miss... There's no mechanism by which they hold him to that salary and to that contract. Crazily, Nick Saban could have decided, hey, you know what? I'm tired of coaching Alabama. I'm going to leave Alabama and go to Auburn. This doesn't happen in any other industry, right? The CEO of Coke can't decide to suddenly the next day become the CEO of Pepsi. If you're running Marriott, you can't go to the Hilton. If you're working at Outkick and you have a contract, you can't leave tomorrow and go work at CBS or NBC or ESPN or anywhere else. Like the reason we sign you to a contract is because we're committing to you, but you're also committing to us. There's a mutuality of obligation there. It doesn't exist in college football for coaches. And now it doesn't exist for players. And so it used to be that when you signed a scholarship with a college football program, you weren't able to easily leave. You had to sit out for a year if you decided to leave. Now, there's no restriction whatsoever. And I don't think that's great for college football. Now, we've had the graduate transfer exception for a long time, which I 100% support. Because that basically says, hey, if you get your work done, if you graduate in three years or four years and still have eligibility left, you can transfer with no restriction. I actually like that because it rewards you for taking care of your academic business. But there are a lot of kids out there who are showing up freshman year and either performing well and deciding to put themselves on the marketplace to get more money or they're unhappy because they're sitting behind somebody and instead of buckling down and saying, okay, I've got to work harder for my opportunity, they're deciding to bail. And I think what a lot of these kids are going to find out is you put your name in the transfer portal. And we might focus on the top 100 players who have multiple schools that might want to sign them and bring them in. But the reality is, there's a huge number of players that enter the transfer portal that nobody else wants to sign, right? And that, to me, feels like a huge mess for college football because, ultimately, most kids playing college football are not going to be able to make a living playing football. So this is what I tell my kids all the time. It's what I've been saying on my show for a long time. You have to make sure that you use the ball, that you don't let the ball use you. In other words, use the sport to advantage yourself and give you more opportunities. Don't let the sport use you. And I think there are a lot of kids that are getting used by the sport and are leaving college without marketable skills and they're never going to be able to use that college uh, opportunity for an education to advance themselves unless it pays off for football. And there's a lot of people in their ears telling them, hey, you're a top player. There's a lot of places that you could have more success. And I think very often that's not actually true. So that's my big picture analysis of the transfer portal insanity that's going on right now in college football. Uh, Final thought here. Um, Donald Trump. Comments on the Twitter files got more coverage from the New York Times, the Washington Post, NBC, ABC, CBS, than the actual Twitter files showing censorship of the Hunter Biden story. This is crazy, okay? The biggest power that large media organizations have is deciding what is and what is not a story. And the Washington Post... New York Times, CBS, NBC, ABC, CNN, MSNBC overwhelmingly said the smoking gun documents from Elon Musk that prove that Twitter was in the wrong when they banned the sharing of the Hunter Biden story, when they censored it, arguing that it was Russian disinformation inaccurately. When all of that happened, now that we have direct email evidence of how it went down, all of those companies I just named, New York Times, Washington Post, ABC, NBC, CBS, CNN, MSNBC, among others, decided we're pretty much not going to cover this story. When Trump commented on it, on Truth Social, however, they covered Donald Trump's comments on the story. So I just want you to think about this and what it tells us about the narrative. If the story itself, in your opinion at the Washington Post, at the New York Times, at ABC, NBC, CBS, CNN, and MSNBC, all those outlets and many others made the decision, we're not going to cover the Twitter files because we don't think it's newsworthy, then how in the world are you making the decision to cover Donald Trump's comments on a story that you yourself already deemed not newsworthy? In other words, Trump's pointing out how BS much of your coverage is. Now, I don't agree with everything Trump says. In fact, I think if you agree with anybody out there in the uh, political sphere 100% of the time, you're not thinking enough. Sometimes people come up to me and they say, I agree with everything you say. say, well, that's flattering, but I wish you agreed with 94% of what I'm saying. Because it would show me that you're paying a lot of attention to my opinions and I don't think it's very healthy for anyone to agree with 100% of what somebody else says. There's always room for criticism. There's always room for disagreement. And in-depth thought often means that you don't agree with everybody on everything. So my question, I would love to hear this answer. This is why we need more ombudsman's out there. Washington Post, New York Times, ABC, NBC, CBS, CNN, MSNBC. You're saying, oh, the Twitter files represents no news. We're not going to cover that. You're wrong, but I at least can understand that argument. How do you justify then covering Donald Trump's opinion of something that you already said wasn't news? So you're covering Trump's opinion of something that you didn't deem newsworthy to cover in the first place. So how is Trump's opinion on an unnewsworthy event worthy of news coverage from you? I would love to hear them try to explain themselves out of that logic pretzel. If it's not news, then someone's opinion on non-news would also be not news. I appreciate all of you. I got a basketball game to go to. Uh, My 12-year-old, Uh, has got a basketball game. I spend a huge majority of my time chasing my kids around right now. 14, 12, and 8 wouldn't change it for anything out there in the world. I will be back on Thursday uh, with you guys. Go vote if you're in Georgia for Herschel Walker. It can make a big difference. Republicans need a massive turnout in order to put Herschel into the Senate. DBAP, unless you need to SBAP. This has been Outkick the Show. Appreciate y'all.